This audio recording is presented by New City in downtown Orlando. Please remain standing for this morning's scripture reading from 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming, and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This is God's word. Amen. Please be seated. All right, here's the question I want to ask to get us started, uh, to get us thinking on the trajectory that I want us to have moving into this text. Uh, How advantageous is it, how valuable is it uh, to know your opponent's game plan or fight plan or battle plan uh, prior to stepping onto the field, prior to stepping into the ring, uh, to the cage, uh, to the battleground? Uh, It is, of course, incredibly valuable to know in advance your opponent's strategies so that you, in part, better know how to defend yourself against their attacks, whether that attack be in a good-hearted competition or a life-threatening war. Uh, A great uh, athlete or coach will watch film of their opponent in order to try and understand how that opponent tends to attack. And they do this in order to make their defense against that attack more effective. More seriously, in war, Uh, countries will use all kinds of, uh, we'll say various types of surveillance, uh, including spies. And this is their effort to learn about the enemy. This is their effort even to get behind enemy lines because you know in war that if you know how your enemy's gonna attack you, you're ready for it, ready to defend yourself against it and have a higher probability of being victorious and making it out alive. So with that concept in mind, let's hit the pause button on that thought and let's hear this. Our passage from 1 John reminds us of the fact that the ultimate narrative, the ultimate storyline in our lives, in the Bible, in history, uh, in the church, the ultimate narrative is the war between good and evil. The ultimate storyline of reality is God versus Satan, Christ versus Antichrist. The ultimate narrative is not just God saving his people. The ultimate story is God graciously saving many people who opposed him while he crushes his ultimate opponent. The ultimate narrative is God sacrificially bringing his people back from death while putting death to death in his own death. This is the story that began prior to the creation of man. And this is the story that will be celebrated forever. 
John writes this in chapter three, verse eight of this very same book. The reason the Son of God appeared, the reason Jesus took on flesh was to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to save you and forgive you and to give you a ticket to heaven, yes. But more than that, he came to crush Satan. He came to defeat the works of the devil. This is the ultimate narrative in your life, in history, in the reality that surrounds us, and in the Bible. God versus Satan. Christ versus Antichrist. Why does the church exist? For lots of reasons. But Jesus mentioned the church uh, one of two times in his life. And the very first time he mentioned the church, he said this, I'm gonna build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now with that said, let's hit play. Let's unpause our introductory thought. If the ultimate narrative is the war between God and Satan, how valuable, how advantageous is it to us as those united to Christ to know the tactics and the strategies and the game plan of the enemy? The word Satan means adversary. If the adversary attacks us, the followers of Christ, in his war with Christ, how valuable might it be to know his tactics, his strategy, his battle plan as we walk back into the battle this week? And of course, the, the incredible news of the Bible is that there are, very, uh, there are multiple passages in the Bible, including our text today, that's gonna, that, that reveal to us the tactics uh, of the enemy in his war with Jesus. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter two, Paul directly states this. He says, we are not ignorant of Satan's designs. We are not oblivious to Satan's tactics. And while I, uh, with the way I tend to lean in on life, while I wish that, that Paul would have said, here are his tactics, write this down. Uh, Paul in that text only mentions one tactic, but he talks about multiple tactics. And what that tells me is that I need to, to scour the scriptures and I need to understand the enemy and the way in which he attacks Jesus and Jesus' church. And so with that angle on what is a mysterious and complex passage, with that angle on what is a mysterious and complex sermon, I want us to, to think about the text this way. I want us to see three things. I want us to see one of Satan's tactics in the war. I want us to see our defense against that tactic and I want us to see our confidence in our defense, okay? So first, in our text, John reminds us of one of Satan's tactics in the war. Here it is, we're gonna put it on the screen. Listen carefully. Satan tries to fill the world with worldly teaching that is built on anything but Jesus and flows from anything but the gospel. Okay, I wanna emphasize two points of this statement. First, uh, the enemy tries to fill the world with teaching that is built on anything but Jesus. Look at verse three. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Satan is like that political candidate whose entire platform and campaign is built on discrediting their opponent and their opponent's ideas 
instead of putting forth honestly, forthrightly, and positively who they are and what they believe. From what I can tell in the Bible and in my life, it is not Satan's primary strategy to fill the world with ideas and teaching that is specifically and blatantly pro-devil. It is Satan's strategy to fill the world with teaching, ideas, and philosophies that are built on anything but Jesus and that flow from anything but the gospel. Now, we don't think about this very often, but consider what John clearly teaches in the passage. Because God sends out spirits who bring about gospel teaching through humans, his enemy sends out spirits who somehow, through humans, bring about teaching that is anything but gospel. And in this teaching that is sourced by the enemy, it is not first and foremost identified by what it confesses. It is only identified by what it refuses to confess. Jesus. Look at the text. Because God, verse one, the spirit of God, verse two, the spirit of truth, verse six, because God sends out spirits who bring about Jesus confessing teaching, verse two, through Jesus confessing teachers, verse six, the spirit of the Antichrist, verse three, the spirit of error, verse six, he who is in the world, verse four, sends out spirits, verse one and verse three, who somehow bring about false prophecy or false teaching, verse one. And this teaching is anything but Jesus confessing, verse three. Now, we have to be careful what we say here, and this is why. John, in this passage, is not trying to give us a systematic theology on the various realms and levels involved in teaching. So while John doesn't give a detailed theory or framework, it is clear that he presumes that God and Satan both have spirits who somehow produce or bring about or encourage teaching through people. And if the teaching is not built upon the foundation of Jesus and if the teaching does not flow from the paradigm of the gospel, it is in some way antichrist, it is in some way sourced by the, by the enemy, and it is in some way a tactic of the enemy in his war with God. Now, second thought. We're gonna apply this here in a second, the second point, a little bit. Second thought. Notice how I, I describe this tactic of Satan, uh, Satan's in the outline. Satan tries to fill the world with, quote, worldly, end quote, teaching. Satan's tactic is to fill the world with teaching that the world doesn't identify as being from Satan. Satan's tactic is to fill the world with teaching that the world thinks of as common sense, normal, and obvious. In verse three, John says that the spirit of the Antichrist is now in the world already. In verse four, John speaks of God's enemy as, quote, he who is in the world, he who has union with the world. If you look at verse four and think about it for about 37 seconds, you're going to see that John teaches that in ways similar to the ministry of the Holy Spirit inside of us, the enemy is inside the world. He who is in you is greater than he who is in union with the world. 
Look at, look at verse five. He's speaking of the false prophets sourced by evil spirits who don't confess Jesus. Look at what he says. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, the world that's indwelt by, by the evil one. They speak from the world and the world listens to them. It is not Satan's strategy, strategy to have his activity be obvious to and easily identified by the audience. Satan fills the world with his teaching in a way that the world thinks they thought of it, in a way that the world deeply resonates with, in a way that the world describes as something that just has to be true. They're from the world, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. Now remember, John uses the word world in multiple ways in his writings, okay? He sometimes uses the word uh, world to talk about the physical world. This is how he uses the word world in verse one. He uses the preposition into. False prophets have gone into the world. He's talking about a physical reality. Sometimes John uses the word world to describe humans who, who live in the world. Next week, uh, I get to preach again. It's after Thanksgiving. Please come back if you're in town. And we're gonna talk about the fact that Jesus is the savior of the world. That means humans that live on the world and one day the world as the new heavens and the new earth. But also, oftentimes, John uses the word world to describe this. Listen, the systemic and cultural powers in a society that are anti-Christian. This, this is John's intent in verses three through five. Listen to what John says about the world in chapter five, verse 19. Listen, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The whole world is lying as if it's in a bed or a hammock, encompassed uh, by the evil one, under the control of the evil one. When someone believes any message from any worldview other than the gospel, they think they're simply agreeing with the truth that their society has determined, but in fact, they're believing the lies of Satan. And he presents these lies to them in the wrappings of their own culture. Why does Paul write in Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind? Because the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. In Ephesians chapter two, Paul makes it very clear. When we were dead in our sins, we were following the course of this world. And this is how he describes following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. When we were dead in our sins, we did not understand ourselves as being disciples of Satan. We were just living like the world. And the Bible is teaching us that when we float down the, the lazy river of the prevalent culture of our context, we're being led along by the enemy and he's taking us into death. Satan is a liar. He is not forthright. He is not honest. Satan does not tell people that they're following him into death when they follow the common thinking of their day. Satan is not going to knock on your door dressed like the Grim Reaper asking you to sit on the porch and dialogue about metaphysics. He is not gonna come up and say, could we talk about ultimate reality for a while? I wanna tell you what I really believe. I wanna be really forthright and honest with you. The Bible is clear. Satan surrounds us with a culture. The, 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 uh, excuse me, he, he surrounds us with the prevalent thought of a context. 
And he just drip by drip by drip teaches us hellish things as if it's common sense. And this is just one of his tactics in his war against Jesus and Jesus' church. He tries to fill the world with worldly teaching that is built on anything but Jesus and flows from anything but the gospel. So if that's the tactic, what's our defense against that tactic? Okay, if Satan is trying to covertly convince us of antichrist teaching, how do we defend ourselves against that attack? I wanna share with you three ideas from verses one through three. Verses one through three are all about our defense against his attack. Okay, we'll put these on the screen. First, we have to stay aware of the whole situation. Look at how John in verse one just assumes there's a connection between spirits and teachers. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets or teachers have gone out into the world. So John tells us to test the spirits when interfacing with teachers. I mean, if you think about it, the whole text presumes that there's more going on than meets the eye. Right now, there is more going on than meets the eye. In some way, the spirit of truth is using a spirit to use me to talk to you. That's the point of the whole passage. There's always more going on than meets the eye. Remember, the original audience was being attacked. The previous members of the community who had abandoned the gospel, who had walked away from the faith, uh, are, are attacking them. And these previous members or leaders of these members are trying to get more of John's audience to join them in their apostasy. And John is saying to them, this is not just about two people talking. Stay aware of the whole situation. Ultimate reality is not comprised of previous members and false teachers. John's like, there's a whole nother realm. There's a whole nother dimension. There's a spiritual realm and a spiritual dimension and they're involved here. And in fact, they're incredibly powerful in this reality. And so while verses one through three, uh, the, the, the application of verses one through three is, is the most specific application of this text, because of the way John keeps talking about the world at the end of this text, because of the way that John talks about the world at the end of the book, because of the way the Bible talks about the world, it tells us that not just with false teachers, but with the messages of this world, we have to be on the lookout for more than meets the eye we have to remember there's a lot more going on in this situation. It's not just a professor. It's not just a movie. It's not just a theme park. It's not just a commercial. It's not just a celebrity. It's not just a politician. Listen, anytime ideas or teaching or truth claims are being assumed or made, anytime, there's more going on than meets the eye. So first, in our defense against this tactic, we have to stay aware of the whole situation. And second, we'll put this on the screen, we have to know the gospel. Look at verse two. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit, every teaching that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. 
Now listen, the word confess in verses two and three is a compound word that doesn't mean anything about saying something with your mouth. The word confess is a compound word that literally means one mind or same logic. One mind or same logic. The test for what is from God and, from, and, and what is from Antichrist is not simply, will that teacher say out loud, yes, I believe that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. The test is this. Is their teaching of one mind with, congruent with, built upon, flowing from the basic truths of the gospel? Remember how I said over and over, the enemy is trying to fill the world with teaching that is founded upon anything but Jesus and flowing from anything but the gospel. Here's why. Verse three, every spirit that does not confess Jesus. Every spirit that doesn't have the same logic as Jesus. Every spirit that is not one-minded with Jesus is not from God. Antichrist teaching is not blatantly pro-devil. It is anything that isn't one-minded with Jesus. I'll share a story with you that illustrates a lot of what I've said so far. A few weeks ago, I was watching TV with some of our kids, our elementary-age kids. And uh, we were watching a show. We watch a, watch a lot of sports when I'm in charge of the remote. We watch a lot of this particular children's network when they're in charge of the remote. And this is one of those days they were in charge of the remote. And we were watching a sitcom. And to make a very long story short, the goal of this particular episode was to encourage the audience to forgive people who hurt them. Forgiveness is in the Bible. So far, so good. But I was intrigued. Because I knew that at some point, it was going to have to try and convince my kids as to why they should forgive other people. Eventually, the characters and the dialogue and the storyline provided the motivation for why my kids should be forgiving, and it was twofold. The show communicated the idea that you'll be, in a, you'll be a bitter person uh, for the rest of your life if you don't forgive, and being bitter isn't fun. And the show communicated that you'll feel good about the kind of person you are if you're able to forgive. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. We got some overlap with the Bible, we've got some serious contradictions with the Bible. I would say that that show, in some way, as a product of this world, that in some way lies in the power of the evil one, was trying to teach my kids to be forgiving for two selfish reasons. If Satan can get my kids to focus on themselves instead of the other person, that is be self-centered. And if Satan can get my kids to feel proud and self-righteous when they forgive someone else, then Satan is more than happy to have my kids learn forgiveness. What did we do? We hit the pause button. That's what we always do. And I started asking questions. What's this show trying to get you to do? Forgive? What reasons are being given to you for this? Don't want to be bitter. Don't want to be angry. Want to have fun in life. Want to be comfortable. Want to be the kind of person who forgives. How's that different from the gospel? How's that not flowing from the gospel of Jesus? And so we as a family, we just, just sat there and reminded ourselves of what the Bible teaches. The Bible says, I only forgive you that $1,000 debt because Jesus forgave me that billion dollar debt. 
Gratitude for what Jesus has done is the only right motivator, the only primary motivator for forgiveness in the gospel. And at the end of the day, I can't be proud, I can't be self-righteous when I forgive you because I'm humbled by all that Jesus forgave me. Anytime I forgive another human being, it's only because I see myself as the greater sinner in the sight of God. In biblical forgiveness, I focus on you and I focus on what you need and I'm only able to do that because God is focused on me and in Christ, he's given me everything I need. And so is teaching a self-righteous, self-centered forgiveness of others one-minded with the fact that Jesus Christ came in the flesh? No. Part of it is, a lot of it isn't. How can you know that? How can my kids know that? We have to know the gospel. We have to know the Bible. We have to keep going to G45. We have to keep doing family worship. We have to keep doing community Bible reading. We have to keep stopping the the, the, the flow of the lazy river and ask ourselves, where does this look like the gospel? Where is this not the gospel? Satan is not going to knock on the door and say, I'd like to talk to you about your presuppositions compared to mine. He's gonna say, let's talk about where we agree. And I'll just lead you where I want you to go. You see, we have to know what lines up with, what is founded upon, what flows from the gospel of Jesus. If we're gonna have a strong defense against this tactic of the enemy, we have to stay aware of the whole situation. We have to to say to ourselves, what is Satan trying to sell me right now? But not only that, we have to say, what's the gospel paradigm? What is that one thinking that lines up with Jesus? And third, we have to remember that religion is just as evil as irreligion. You see, if all you have is the first, the first two points, you're gonna run towards religion. You're gonna feel like that's the safe play. But the Bible says religion is just as evil as irreligion, that legalism is just as evil as Satanism. So think about it. When we hear antichrist, when we hear the devil, when we hear spiritual warfare, what context does our minds go, what context do our minds go towards? Lots of places. But I don't find that my mind goes to that place uh, where antichrist is most prevalent. Listen to this. Atheism is antichrist. Secularism is antichrist. Satanism is antichrist. But biblically speaking, the most prevalent face of antichrist is religion. It is legalism. It is the idea that you can or you have to earn God's love with your works. Is the teaching or the idea that I have to earn my salvation through works one-minded with the truth that Christ came in the flesh? No. Legalism, religion, earning God's love is the most prevalent denial of Jesus as the Messiah. And yet in fear of the world, I run towards religion. Which group of people did Jesus call the children of the devil in John's gospel? You know that throughout history, even in our day and age now, there were people sacrificing their children to the devil. Do you understand that? Who were the children of the devil in the Bible? Jewish leaders who believed in God, who believed in holiness, who believed in righteousness, who believed that they could earn God's love through their righteousness. The children of the devil are the legalists. Which of the 12 disciples was most vocal in his opposition to Jesus' sufferings and death on the cross? Key word being vocal. 
Which one was most vocal and opposed to the idea that Jesus had to cleanse him and that Jesus had to die for him? Peter. Who gets called Satan in Matthew 16? Peter. Peter was opposed to Jesus dying on the cross and Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Why? Legalism, religion, earning your own righteousness, a rejection of Jesus' death for you, this is the most prevalent form of antichrist. Satan is not pro-devil, he's anti-cross. Do you get that? The most prevalent form of antichrist is religion. It is the belief or the pressure that I have to do this and that I can do this. So this is one of Satan's tactics, and this is our defense against that tactic. In his attacks on Christ, one of his tactics is to get us to believe, verse one, to get us to listen to, verse six, false teaching. Satan wants us to live out of a worldview that is not built on Jesus and not flowing from the gospel. But John in our text has provided us with this defense so that we're not blindsided by the attacks. He says, stay aware of the scheme. Grow in your understanding of the gospel. Remember that religion is not a safer option than irreligion. And finally this morning, let's think about our confidence in our defense. Our confidence in our defense. How can we be confident that we'll execute this defense and that it will be effective, right? It's one thing to be told how to defend yourself against Ronda Rousey. It's another thing to pull it off. It's one thing to be told that you can defend yourself against the great Mike Tyson in his heyday. It's another thing to get in there and pull it off. How can we know that our defense will be effective? Look at verse four. Little children, well, that doesn't start out very good. You are from God and you have overcome them. The false prophets, the spirits not from God, the Antichrist. For since because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Verse five, they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. Verse six, we are from God, children of God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. John is there talking about himself and other teachers of the gospel. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Our confidence is based on this. Listen to this. The ultimate narrative of our life and of the world and of history and of the Bible is not us versus Satan. It's God versus Satan. It is Christ versus Antichrist. And we can be confident for this one reason. The victorious one lives inside of us. The way to defend yourself against teaching sourced by the Antichrist is to not believe it and to believe teaching from God instead. And John clearly tells us that the Christians are from God, they're born of God, and they have the Spirit in them. And when you're from God and when you're indwelt by the Spirit, you listen to God's teachers. That's the point of four through six. There's no command. It's just a whole bunch of information. When God brought you from death to life at your conversion, he put a heart in you that increasingly distrusts worldly things and increasingly trusts gospel teaching. This point is not about you. This point is about what's been done to you. 
Verse four, little children, you are from God and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater, stronger, of much higher rank than he who is in the world. On our own, we are little children. On our own, we are these precious little children going up against the source of all evil in an evil world. If it is Satan versus us, we lose every time. But it is not Satan versus us. It is Satan versus Christ in us. And because of that, we will overcome. We will be victorious. We will win. It is not Satan versus a little child. It is Satan versus a little child with a massive lion inside. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. There is nothing I can tell you to do in this point other than be confident in what he has done for you and be confident in who he is in you. In the second point, I told you what John tells us to do. But in the third point, I'm telling you, whoever does what I told you to do in the second point does it because the spirit of truth, verse six, is in them. John's like, look, if you wanna know the spirit of error or the spirit of truth, which one is in that person? Do they listen to what God says? If they do, spirit of truth. If they don't, spirit of error. Quick note, error means waywardness. It doesn't mean opposite. The spirit of error is to take you one tick away from the gospel and send you on that trajectory for a lifetime. If the gospel resonates with us, the spirit is inside of us. When the gospel doesn't resonate, the spirit of error is still present. If all we had was the first point, uh, the world is indwelt by the Antichrist. If that's all we had, uh, Disney is Antichrist. I didn't really mean that, it's a joke. But if that's all we had, we'd have nothing but fear. We would quarantine our children and we would run from the world. If all we had was the first point and the second point, listen, Satan is gonna attack and this is how you have to defend yourself. If that's all we have, we have fear and anxiety. He's attacking me and it's all up to me. But because we have point three, the tactic, the defense, and the confidence, for sure, sober-minded, alert, prayerful, watchful, of course, but confident and grateful. Little child, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that right now, you are in us, giving us hearts that love your gospel, giving us minds that deeply resonate with the truth of scripture. We thank you that, that, that while the enemy had our hearts and minds veiled from the gospel, you removed the veil. You put your spirit in us and you validate and verify the gospel inside of us, causing us to love the gospel, to love you, and to see it all as incredibly beautiful. Jesus, we are so thankful that you brought us from death to life. We are so thankful that you took us from darkness to light. We are so thankful uh, that you took us from guilty to righteous. We're so thankful that you took us from orphan to beloved children. We are so thankful that you will persevere us, you will sustain us, you will bring us to glory. You are the mighty victor, and we are so grateful to be united to you. Would you this week help us to better understand the truth, to more clearly see 
the worldly teaching of the Antichrist. And would you allow us this week to believe your word and your truth? In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.